everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Inside College Admissions, a podcast powered by SCORE. My name is Ashley Smith, Marketing Director at SCORE, and today I am joined by our regular guest, Peter Van Buskirk, who is our strategic advisor, to wrap up our temperature check on admission series. This is the third and final episode of this mini series, so if you haven't checked out the other two, I highly recommend it. And as you may have heard on some of the other episodes, the goal of this conversation is to provide a summary of conversations that Peter's having with admissions leaders across the country. So today we're going to be focused on future focused conversations and summarize some of the thoughts from admissions leaders based on the question, where do we go from here and what does admissions life after the pandemic look like? Some of the topics we'll be covering are the future of enrollment management, academic and emotional preparedness of students, and the impact of marginalized students since the pandemic has taken place. So before we get started, as always, I'm very excited to welcome back Peter. We're excited to have you here again today. Thanks, Ashley. It's always a pleasure. And uh, you know from past conversations, uh, I love to talk about college admission, strategic part of things. So uh, happy to have this conversation with you. Absolutely. So let's just jump right into it. And the first topic that we really want to start to unfold a little bit is the future of enrollment management. Really curious to hear the conversations about what we think this could potentially look like in the future based on what some of these admissions leaders have been talking about. And, you know, we obviously have gone through a very interesting time on this side of things. And, you know, the the conversations to date have been around us learning from these things and figuring out what's the best way to move forward. So if you could kind of just shed some light on what's been going on in the conversations happening today, we would appreciate it. Sure, sure. Well, there are really three areas uh, that I, I think are worth noting here. One has to do with uh, the uh, recruitment process a second would have to do with the selection process. And the third has to do with the actual enrollment management that, that uh, takes place. So uh, one of the things I think that we'll just throw out there initially here actually is that, that over the last 15 to 18 months, colleges and universities have had to pivot significantly in their attempts to not only provide a, a meaningful academic experience for the students on their campuses, but also to, <laughs> to, to pick up the pace with the recruitment and uh, selection and enrollment processes. So I, I would add that historically, change on college and university campuses, even in the enrollment arena, change is something that's glacial in nature. It happens very, very slowly. Mm -hmm. Well, because of COVID, that, that big glacier became a puddle and there's so much that's changed. One of the things that I heard often from uh, enrollment officers was that, uh, you know, we're, we're just kind of winging it. We're, we're going by the seat of our pants. Uh, all, of, all of the predictive modeling that, that we would normally use for that recruitment and the selection and the enrollment process, all that predictive modeling is gone because the metrics no longer work in circumstance of COVID. So I think with regard to, to recruitment, I, we're going to see institutions perhaps reverting to some of the things that have been successful in the past with regard to direct recruitment of, of students visiting high schools. But I think what, what I hear consistently also is that schools have, have come to realize that with the technologies of the day, they can reach much further into communities they couldn't have gotten to before. And they can conversely give students anywhere in the world access to their campuses. Mm -hmm. uh, 
not literally, but but figuratively through the technology. So I think there's a reimagining of the outreach that's, that's taking place now between colleges, universities, and the students that they'd like to recruit. In, in the admission conversations, you hear uh, deans of admission talk about their admission funnel, which means that working backwards in order to, to get a class of X number of students, you need to be able to admit Y number, which is a larger number. In order to have some measure of selectivity, uh, you need to have an even larger number of applicants. And then uh, in order to make sure you get that number of applicants, you have to have much larger number of prospective students and prospective uh, 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 applicants in, in that funnel. So measuring the funnel uh, trying to do what we call lead generation with regard to getting students into that funnel has become an imperfect science now because of COVID. And a lot of colleges and universities are, are kind of struggling right now to figure out how they're going to put together a, a, a systematic approach to, to recruitment uh, in the future. Certainly some of the tried and true things that they've done in the past will remain, but don't be surprised to see more virtual outreach coming from colleges and universities. So that's, that's the, the recruitment side alone, uh, as colleges want to make sure that they, they continue to fill the funnel with the, the right number of students uh, who uh, would, would be viable candidates for them. The selection process got turned upside down and inside out as well, because the need to that many institutions felt to back off of testing in, in the selection process. And let's just refresh the, the conversation here with the notion that testing is, is used primarily to validate the strength of an academic credential. Testing, I, I think sometimes folks uh, in, in the community feel like testing is, is like a, an intelligence test. The SAT or the ACT is an intelligence test, measures how smart you are. It really doesn't. It, it, it's designed to measure the likelihood of your success and the degree of success you would have as a first-year student in college. Well, colleges have known forever that they can make good decisions without the test. Sure. And, and there'd been a, a migration among colleges and universities away from testing over the last 15 to 20 years. Well, in the last 15 months, there's been a 60% increase in the number of places in higher education that have uh, created an option for testing in their admission process, which is, I think, outstanding. It's, it's an acknowledgement that, that we can move past testing. It created some problems this year because mm -hmm. there were a lot of students who were wondering, is this real? Uh, yeah, a lot of uncertainty there. They, they, they kind of feel like it might be a trap. You know, if I don't send my scores in, they're, they're going to I think that, that their score, my scores were low and that'll buy, be a bias against me. But the opposite is true. When you send in low scores, you have an obvious and visible bias against you. But at any rate, um, many schools, including schools at the top of the pecking order, uh, decided to make tests optional uh, because students simply haven't been able to get to testing centers in a, in a regular manner over the last 15 months. And many of those schools, schools that were already admitting 5% of their applicants, saw increases in their applicant group of you know, 20 to 40%, which was just insane. The thought being on the part of students that, well, gosh, if I don't, if I don't have to send uh, you know, an SAT into Harvard, maybe I'll have a better chance now. Well, it doesn't quite work that way, but uh, what, what happened then is that institutions that were already very selective just had to deal with a, a greater number of viable candidates. How did they do that? Well, at the outset, they, they hired more part-time readers. I don't know if folks understand that, but um, many of the most selective schools in the country will have the full-time admission staff that, that are engaged with programmatic aspects of admission and, and also credential review. But 
but from maybe September through March of the the re recruiting season, uh, an institution that's highly selective might bring in another 20 to 40 people to work part-time as readers of, of applications. Well, the, the solution for many of these schools is to bring in more, more readers to uh, deal with that growth in applications. But it, it's also meant that institutions have had to, to kind of look for alternate means of assessment. So if, the, if the testing wasn't there, how do you make, how do you distinguish between, uh, you know, 20 students who are all valedictorians in their class, great leaders, great athletes, whatever. Uh, so th there's, I think, a, more of an inclination on the part of institutions to, to look at character issues, to look at empathy, self-awareness within the environment in which you live, et cetera. So bottom line, essays uh, are taking on a different import right now. And, and I think that the student's ability in the application to demonstrate to these institutions that there is a, a purpose behind the application, not I'm applying because you're a great school and I want to see if I can get in, but this is what I want to do. I have found in your curriculum an opportunity to achieve my goals in a particular way, and that's why I'm applying. And so, so the institutions are, are looking even with, with greater intent at the student's ability to articulate that synergy in the application. Yep. So that's, that's more of a subjective thing that's going to be harder to read in this process, but, but certainly a, a big deal. But the final thing that, that I've noted is that the enrollment management process, and, and I say enrollment management process, when we talk about enrollment management, we're talking about the way an institution deals with the overall enrollment, all the students enrolled on a particular campus, not just the first year students. The first year students occupy an important part of that. So what are the expectations for a certain number of students to enroll? What should those students look like academically, socially, economically, ethnically, gender-wise, et cetera? Uh, colleges and universities are always trying to, to optimize the mix of students. And, and now uh, they're, they're finding that because of uncertainty about numbers, because the predictive analytics are gone for a COVID type of experience, now uh, they're, they're hedging their bets. How do they do that? Well, early decision is a big deal. It's always been a big deal, but the, the selective institutions are pushing early decision even more. Some selective institutions went beyond admitting half of the class early decision simply to, to try to secure uh, the base of the class. In admitting the regular candidates for admission, not early decision, but the students who applied regular admission, institutions are, are hedging on admitting more students. Again, not quite sure who's, what number's gonna show up. And the thought being, well, if we get more than we anticipated, that's good because <laughs> it, it generates more revenue for us. than last year was a light, light revenue year for us. So early decision is, is carrying a greater importance right now. Colleges and universities are hedging on admitting a few more students in, in regular decision and uh, they're also prepared to admit more students from the waitlist. Uh, now, that's, that's a phenomenon we can discuss at greater length at another time, but the waitlist is no longer just an insurance policy for colleges in case they come up short. Uh, the waitlist is, is a very strategic element of the enrollment process, and now we're finding that colleges and universities are saying about students, well, we, we know she's a good candidate for us, but you know, we, we're not quite sure what her intent is with regard to enrolling here. Let's put her on the wait list. And if she's seriously interested, we can look at her again later, admit her from the wait list. Well, that wait list becomes a high yield function for many institutions. 
as a result, um, they're, they're probably squeezing the number, to a certain extent, squeezing the number of kids they might take regular decision. It's contradicting in some ways what I just said because they're taking more regular decision candidates, but they take even, even more regular candidates if not for the fact that they can uh, hedge on the, on the wait list. So this, this whole enrollment management strategy thing that involves the early decision, regular decision, the wait list is becoming very fluid as well and, and very dynamic. Yeah. And, you know, hearing, hearing these three key topics that you touched on, right? So, you know, having a new process for attracting new students at the top of the funnel, testing, taking on, um, you know, a new meaning, which also means that the essay is taking on a different level of importance than the whole enrollment management process shifting as well. You know, if, if I'm sitting here thinking from the, from the family perspective, you know, what this really says to me is that, you know, being aware of these things will truly help with the intent that goes into exactly. the application and also from a timing perspective, right? If ED is becoming a bigger and bigger deal, like it's, it would be, it's really important for our families to know and to be able to plan for that. And then counter to that on the other side, what I'm, what I'm hearing is that colleges, universities, institutions are continuing to be extremely and need to be extremely flexible and kind of being uncomfortable with the uncomfortable. Well, that, that, that's very true. Uh, and and the, the, there's, there's a lot of trickle down in terms of, of the import of or impact of this on staff as well. But I, th I think what, what we need to, to recognize and, and colleges and universities, I think are making this acknowledgement as well is the institutions are functioning as businesses. There's a, there's a bottom line determination that drives all else. And, um, this flies in the face sure. of, of the, the notion historically that, that institutions are altruistically providing opportunities for deserving students. And you know, this is, this is all about the young person. Well, happily, young people will benefit from education, but, but it's no longer the case that you, know, you, you do what you believe is important in your life. You get good grades, high scores, become a leader, et cetera, and then you'll be rewarded with the right entry into the right college. No, <laughs> colleges are making very strategic decisions, business decisions as they make uh, put together their classes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and as we talked about in some previous episodes too, because there are a lot of factors that go into it, I think it's important to keep in mind too that, you know, just because you weren't accepted doesn't necessarily, you know, mean that you should be thinking about it in terms of you couldn't have done well at that particular school. And I think that that's always important for students to keep in mind because rightfully so, I mean, it can, it can hurt if there was a rejection or be really excited for an acceptance, but it's not as black and white. So I think that that's an important takeaway. Well, you make a really good point. And I I'd just like to add the, the Folks on the admission side that I've been talking to come from a range of institutions, from some of the most highly selective in the country to some that are not as selective. And I, that's important to me because in, in, the, in the aftermath of the year, the, the focus almost certainly falls on what happened at the most selective schools. And the reality is that the most selective schools only serve about 5 to 10% of the total student population. And I think we need to remember to keep an eye on the other institutions, most of the institutions in the country that serve the 90% of the students going off to college, they have real challenges as well. And, and so I think that aside from the selection element that I, I mentioned and the enrollment, the, the enrollment management piece is still important. They have to have kids too. Um, so at any rate, I, I think it's really important to honor the, the importance of, of all institutions, not just those that, that 
command the highest degrees of, of uh, selectivity. Absolutely. So, you know, we touched on a couple family related issues in terms of, you know, this is this is definitely a an emotional process. So what I'd love to transition to is something that we've been hearing some chatter about related to academic and emotional preparedness of newly enrolling college students. Obviously, the past year and a half have been vastly different from what we've ever seen before. So can you give us some context in terms of what some of those concerns might be from the institution's point of view? And then what can they also do to help the students with that as they think about um, this coming fall? Well, it, it's a it's a real challenge right now to kind of figure this out. And, and, and part of it is because students in their schools have been dislocated from the normal academic experience. Uh, at, at best, some of them have been in um, uh, hybrid situations where they might be in the classroom and the teacher's dealing with some students at home or vice versa, they've been at home. It just hasn't been normal. As a result, program content in, in many instances has been diluted. For example, it's really hard to do a, a, a lab-related science Mm-hmm. remotely. Yeah, uh, of course. And the teacher might be doing the lab in, in the classroom with a handful of students, but if you're at home at your, your dining room table, the lab doesn't work the same way. No, uh, and I'd be afraid if it did <laughs> for a lot of reasons. And, and, and the other thing is teachers in, uh, have been conveying uh, through their counselors as well that um, kids, it, kids are are losing their focus when they're trying to follow things electronically. Uh, and it's, it's not uncommon for a, a student in a particular class to, to sign in with that class, but then put an avatar up uh, on, on the, uh, the, the screen and the teacher has no clue whether the student's engaged or not, whether the student might be off you know, playing video games, doing something else. So, but, but anyway, assuming that students are making an attempt to stay engaged and stay focused, they're still, falling behind in the terms of the preparation. I'm not talking about their ability because these are very able students who are just not getting the same kind of preparation. And that's really concerning in, in areas, math, science, and engineering areas where the quantifiable piece needs to be really locked down and as students build sequentially in their program. So the, the message being passed on to colleges is be ready for the fact that you're gonna be dealing with students who, who might need to take you know, calculus again, might need to take physics again, just to uh, get, get with the program sufficient to, to where they need to be. And the second part of your question, I think is really important too. There are a lot of young people who, who struggle emotionally with the separation. Um, some of them, um, well, yeah, they, they, they've been at home. Maybe a parent's been at home. There's been an economic stress placed on the family. Maybe there've been illnesses or uh, serious illnesses related to COVID that, that have, have placed a stress on the family. And, and the, the word that I'm getting from a lot of folks in high schools is that, that this group of students, the students entering fall of 2021 and probably 2022 are gonna be students who have unimagined social emotional issues that, that need to be watched carefully once they get to college. Now, the, the, the thing that makes this a real challenge is that the colleges are themselves starting to put themselves back together in terms of having a, a functioning on-campus response academically and, and otherwise to students. So I think it's really important that families have honest conversations 
amongst themselves about what are the needs academically, socially, and emotionally, but also once, once those needs are acknowledged that they express them directly to the personnel on the college and university campuses to find out how they can be served once the student is enrolled there. This is, this is a big deal. I, I think a lot of folks are concerned about the, the retention of students uh, coming out of the COVID experience, that, uh, that they might start college, but just not have the stick to if you will, to, to uh, manage the full four years with, without some break in between to kind of get themselves straight. Yeah, absolutely. And based on the conversations that you have been hearing too, do you think that colleges and universities are taking the necessary steps to make sure that they're going to be supporting this as they start to have more students come on campus who may be, you know, struggling with some of these things? Or is it still kind of a new, a new thing that they're trying to figure out? Well, again, they're, I think they're, they're studying the situation and trying to find solutions on the fly. Yeah. Uh, yep. Most institutions have in place a network of, of residence hall assistants, advisors, academic advisors, uh, professional staff to deal with uh, the social emotional issues. Again, the, the key thing is being able to recognize a situation before it becomes a problem. Yes. And, uh, yeah. I think that it's going to just take a little more training, a little more orientation for the people who are in the living space with the students on a regular basis to be able to spot issues again before they become problems. Absolutely. And I think that this is also, you know, a really good segue to the the third key topic that I want to touch on with you today. And that is related to, you know, those students who are slipping through the cracks or marginalized students. And this is something that is, you know, very near and dear to our hearts at SCORE. We want to make sure that we are supporting all students and, you know, want to make sure that we are providing the resources so that no student is, is left behind. But we know that the pandemic has presented some problems and some concerns in this area. So curious to hear what the admissions leaders that you have been talking to have have said about this topic in particular. It's interesting that there, there's um, almost a recognition of two realities here. Sure. On the one hand, educators are finding some satisfaction in the fact that the relationships that they have in place in the community to identify aspiring students from marginalized backgrounds continue to feed them. Uh, community-based organizations uh, that, that have relationships with colleges and universities um, that, to get students to their campus, that's helping, that's working, in large part because those students have been identified already and they are, are being supported by advocates who are very knowledgeable about the process. So on the one hand, there's a response among educators saying, you know, the COVID situation didn't really impact to a measurable degree, access. Mm -hmm. I think those who look more deeply at the situation realize that the students who didn't have the advantage of that advocacy are mm -hmm. the ones who got left behind and, and they're no less important. And I think that, that uh, there's a real concern that young people who don't have the, the advantages of, of privilege, they, they may not have wired internet at home, they may not have a, a, the support of, a, of one or two parents at home to say, you know, you, you need to make sure you stay online with your class schedule. There are a lot of, a lot of young people who are not getting that kind of support right now. They're not getting the support to know how to deal with testing. Yeah. Yep. Many of those students still live in, 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 with an understanding that, well, I have to take the SAT or I have to take the ACT. They, they haven't really come to understand that test option is out there. 
what it means uh, and mm -hmm. that it could actually be a, a, a bridge for them into to a, a college experience. So there's a real strong dislocation for the students who come from marginalized backgrounds who, who do not otherwise have points of advocacy in the process. And uh, that group I, for certainly a couple of years will have been lost. And I hope not forever, but I, I hope that we can find ways to reach out to these students and, and, and build new connections to, to bring them in. And I'm really happy about what, what SCORE is trying to do in that regard too. I mean, the relationship we have at SCORE with uh, Title I schools is really important. At Title I schools where that connection between the student and the advocate isn't quite as strong yet. So I think you know, what we're trying to do is, is affect a, a stronger connection to between the student and, and the reality of the admission process so that uh, we can supplement. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, our goal is to make sure that, you know, they do have, whether it's through resources or the technology or whatever it may be, we want to make sure that, you know, they're on level playing field with other students as well. And, you know, it's, it's something that, as you said, we care deeply about, and we want to make sure that as much as we possibly can, those students don't slip through the cracks, because the reality is that, you know, worrying about some of these issues, such as testing or whatever it may be, for a lot of students, that may be a, a luxury to worry about something like that when they're just trying to figure out, like, where they can get internet for the day to make sure that they can participate in their classroom. So, it's definitely a very troubling topic and, and something that, you know, we are working as hard as we can to help try to bridge the gap in certain ways. In one of my recent conversations, learned of a reality that, that was kind of shocking to me. Uh, an individual who does a lot of, of work with uh, students, marginalized background students in uh, urban areas of New York, observed to the, the, the group in, in this conversation that the state universities in New York were no longer able to accommodate these kids, which financially, yeah. which was a bit of a shock because on the surface, you think, all right, there are a lot of schools out there. Some of them are very expensive private schools, but the, 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 the state universities are the, the land grant mission driven places there to serve the students within the state. And, and the cost is obviously not supposed to be a factor. And this, this gentleman was saying, our kids can't look at the state universities uh, for favorable support financially because they don't have it right now. And again, a, a reminder that there's a certain onus being placed on private institutions. And then I don't mean just at the top of the pecking order, but all the way through the, the system to, to try to be creative in, in the way they, they reach out to students uh, who deserve an opportunity and deserve support for that opportunity. Absolutely. And if you don't mind, I'm going to put you on spot and uh -oh. ask a question kind of off the cuff here. But if you were talking to a student who may be in that boat where they just, you know, th there are certain things that are out of their control and it's not the ideal scenario for them, how would you suggest that they make the best use of that time before they can figure out what the best academic pathway looks like for them? Well, how much time do you have? <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry, that might that might be a long-winded one, but um, you know, it, it's just as we're talking about well, this. And I have that opportunity periodically. And but what I try to do before I offer any advice is I try to learn as much as I can about the student. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I think just to, you know, in the abstract to say, okay, this is a student who comes from a disadvantaged background. Well, how does the student 
reconcile that uh, that disadvantaged background? How does that student trying to manage life in the circumstance that she, that she has for herself at that moment? What are her ambitions? What 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 she like to accomplish? What are her presumed skill sets and and what are her values? I and mean, just a lot of things that you want to to know before you can give any advice. But my 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 strong suggestion to students is to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, believe that 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 you are worth every bit of time and effort you can put into this because it's, it's only when you put yourself out there with that sense of confidence, focus, purpose um, that you can begin to achieve. It's, it's unfortunately the students who just believe they're not good enough, they can't, and then they won't. Sure. So, right. And so I, I think I encourage once we have that beginning conversation, I encourage students uh, certainly now because there's still a limit on, on access to colleges physically to get online and and to just poke around and see what you can learn don't go in with any presumptions about this place is you know too good for me or not good enough for me or I can't get in or I can't get in just see what's out there for students getting started in the process window shopping is really really important and as you know with window shopping you enter with no commitment you just yeah you walk into the store you look around you might see things you like or things you don't like and you turn around and you walk back out uh, without having made any commitment. But at least now you know what's there. Yeah, you're informed. Yeah, More informed. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. So I think that that's what I would encourage young people to do is to, to believe they're worth it and, and, and to allow themselves to at least poke around and see what they can learn and build, build some confidence in, in the possibilities that exist for them. Absolutely. All right. One more quick question for you to take it to the other side here. Mm-hmm. As a former admissions leader, well, you're still an admissions leader, but as a former dean of admissions, if you were going to give colleges and universities some advice about, you know, what to keep an eye out for, or based on all of the various things that we talked about today, is there any words of wisdom that you would give to them based on everything that you've been hearing? Because, you know, you, you talk to a lot of these people every day, and I'm sure you're hearing themes. So anything you'd offer? That's a really good question, Ashley, and and um, I'm, I'm going to try a, a response here that, that may or may not be well received. I don't know, but I think what I would say to institutions is, while yes, you need to make sure that that you are working in a fashion that is sound for your institution. Mm-hmm. Let's let's get back to the point where we're student centered in the process, and I think that so often now the the impression if not the reality is that the students are kind of secondary in the process that this is a if it's a business it's institutions needing to make their bottom lines in, in, in a lot of different ways and there are a lot of bottom lines that are intersecting for institutions but but let's let's take a step back and not worry about how we're ranked sure let's not worry about whether we admitted uh, fewer than five percent or fewer than ten percent Let's not worry about whether our test results are coming down or are they going up in incremental fashion that, that puts us above our competitors. I think those, those are distractions. The, yeah. those, those, and, and frankly, those are the worries that drive the admission process. But let's eliminate the distractions and try to put together uh, an outreach for students that's, that truly serves the young people best. And, and you know, recognize that as institutions, we'll be here tomorrow. You know, whether our ranking goes up or goes down, uh, whether we become more or less selective, whether our scores are better or worse, we'll be here tomorrow. But let's let's make sure that, that we're serving everybody. Yeah, I mean, I 
couldn't agree more. Let's put the student back at the center of things and, you know, get back to those basics in, in certain ways. So it, it'll be it'll be like trying to turn the, you know, the, the Queen Mary around in, in, in the San Francisco Bay as it's it's not <laughs> an easy thing to do. Uh, but where there's a will, there's a way. And hey, we're already uncomfortable. So why not just add another another layer onto it? However, I will say that, you know, through all of these conversations, it does seem like that is coming through more and more based on the scenario that we're in. So maybe there is a silver lining in this somewhere. So. Fingers crossed. Yes. All right. Well, that's all we're going to have time for today. But Peter, as always, fantastic insights. Thank you for keeping us up to date on you know, the latest trends and themes that are coming out of these conversations. And um, we look forward to having you back again soon. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure.